0: Hello, bienvenido and welcome. My name is Annette Perel. I'm a proud Afro-Latina of Panamanian descent and a doula for over 17 years and mom of a son. I created this podcast to help connect people to other Black, Latino, and Indigenous people in the birth field. I also want my listeners to hear birth stories directly from the parents who experienced them. Welcome to the Clear Birth Podcast
1: primarily work from a framework that's built on a capitalist structure we're no longer like upholding the ancestral part of the work that we do even within the context of that understanding like there's other forms of currency in doing the work you know me living by that mode of there's one hand to give there's one hand to receive like I've never been empty-handed <laughs> um, because of that <laughs>
0: Chanel Portia is a mama activist, doula, consultant, speaker. I first heard of Chanel in the birth world as the founder of Ancient Song, an organization focused on bringing full spectrum doula services and classes to an underserved community. Chanel, in my eyes, is doing the work of making a difference in her community to help end and lower the maternal mortality rate. I've heard her speak many times and even had the pleasure to sit on a panel together to discuss the challenges of the maternity care in communities where black and brown people live. She has some great insights on how we can help change the maternal mortality rate. I know you will enjoy the knowledge she shares. Well, Chanel, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you on, finally get you here in the, in the chair. So we're just going to jump straight into the show. I start off with what career did you want to do when you were in grade school, high school, and college? That's a mouthful, I know.
1: <laughs> um, let's see. When I was in grade school, I think for a period of time, I thought I was going to be either a... A lawyer mm-hmm. or a model. Uh, when I got to high school, what did I think I wanted to be in high school? That's a good question. I have no idea, and, but I definitely know when I got to college, I thought I was going to do international business. Okay. Um, I knew that I loved traveling and I wanted to see the world, and so international business was my thing. And so, initially, thought I would do that. <laughs> And then I switched over to by my second year of college I switched over to African African American and Caribbean studies and mm. political science. Okay.
0: So I thought I would go into politics. Okay. Well, you kind of did. Yeah, did. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that. But you kind of did. And so what what career did you do right before becoming a doula?
1: Right before I became a doula, I was a commodities broker. So I used to Import diamonds and jewelry for luxury brands like Sotheby's mm-hmm. and De Beers and other places like that.
0: Okay, and how did how did you go from that commodities to <laughs> doula work? Like, what was the catalyst? Because that's a big one. That's, I know that is a big <laughs> one. That is
1: so. The catalyst for that was my pregnancy with my first child. Uh-huh. Um, my oldest, he's twelve years old. And yeah, it just completely changed my whole life and my whole perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, just the care that I was given. So I had a am I supposed to tell my my this is you, one can, of my you can tell stories. you can tell what stories. Yeah, it's kinda like <laughs> we got that one checked. But I had a beautiful home birth with him. Um my my doula was um Sayana Devotion who mm-hmm. I think her um she she's in Connecticut and mm-hmm. has um a practice called Earth Natural Touch, mm-hmm. and I had a midwife who is Sin Q, who mm-hmm. owns a course in the midwifery, and it was an amazing experience. Like you know, hands down, like the the experience that I received and the the care that I received really transformed my idea of what reproductive healthcare looks like, and mm-hmm. so you know, I always have to say that, you know, we don't understand necessarily the the catalyst of like doula work and how it can, you're not just like hope, helping someone in that very moment. You're yeah. being like a, you can be a catalyst to someone, you know, doing amazing things for other people too.
0: Yeah. So what did you, what was your opinion before becoming pregnant and of the healthcare system? Like what was your experience? What did you think your experience would be? And then How did you go to choosing a home birth midwife?
1: Yeah, um, I definitely knew that I didn't want to birth in a hospital, but I didn't even know that that was possible. So if we backtrack like maybe two years when I was working, I happened to be in Union Square and um, I came upon a natural birth expo. And I was like, wow, this is this is dope. Like (laughs) I didn't know that there were so many options. What I did observe, though, was that um, the majority of the individuals that were there were white, right? So yeah. I was like, okay, there's nobody who looks like me. And then I happens upon um, Amani, and she was there with, like, some doulas, and they had a table. And she was like, yeah, you know, I'm a midwife. And I was like, a midwife? Like, I didn't even know Black midwives still existed because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. thought about it from a perspective of, like, this is, you know, I read about them in classes and things of that nature, mm-hmm. but I had... I didn't know that it was anything that was possible. Yeah. And so I had held on to that, that information for like two years because I had no intentions of being pregnant. And, <laughs> and then yeah. I met my husband in a health food store on Nostrand Avenue in Brooklyn, you know, beautiful yeah. Brooklyn mm-hmm. store. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it totally, you know, I remembered I had that info and then I went on MySpace. 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 Back in the was day. That, yeah. that, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Before was that music platform I exactly. went on MySpace and I found that midwife in the doula And yeah, it completely It completely changed my whole perspective Of healthcare because prior to that I had had a A couple of years, early 2000s I had a myomectomy
0: mm.
1: Fibroids And was told I would never you know, I'd probably never be really able to have children Well, but, six children later yeah. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> they, I, I love to hear these stories because they have no clue. No clue. Yeah, no none whatsoever. Yeah.
1: Like none. No yeah. context. No exactly. understanding. Yeah. And so, yeah, I had that myomectomy um, because I had, you know, huge fibroids where people were coming up to me and were like, are you pregnant? And I was like, wait a minute. They're like Something, something's, something's wrong, wrong yeah. you know, and, you know, ended up getting the surgery. Knew I didn't want to get fibroids again, you know, mm-hmm. because being a black woman, we know that this is something that happens to be sometimes repetitive in yes. our our reproductive health and became a, changed my lifestyle, became a vegan and yeah. And basically like healed myself from, you know, cause I was like, these people don't know what
0: you're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> they don't look cool. as food as healthcare. They really mm-hmm. don't. And so then after that experience, how did you go into forming a certification program? So,
1: well, yeah. so, so first of all, that was never my intention. Uh-huh. My intention was to, which I think a lot of doulas' intentions are, is like you take your training, you're like, I'm going to do this work independently. Yeah. You know, I'm going to have a business, mm-hmm. and that was my initial intention. And as I was doing the work, I realized the ways in which you know, black, brown, and indigenous people were disenfranchised or criminalized during bedside, Mm -hmm. you know, sitting with someone going to a prenatal, waiting for four hours to be seen for 10 minutes, right? Coming out of it, you know, lost. Um, Having child protective services called on individuals at bedside. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't, you know, I can't be the only person who, you know, feels this way, who's like going through this process. And so I had put a um, call out on one of the listservs, like a a doula listserv um, Mm -hmm. or birth workers listserv. And I was like, you know, are there any people out there who are interested in working with low income individuals? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it just kind of started from there. I didn't know, you know, I had no clue. What I didn't know is that I shouldn't say I had no clue. What I should say is that Mm -hmm. I used the skills that I had from being a broker Right, mm-hmm. and then, but also thinking about really wanting to create space where people could just be seen and heard. And so, mm-hmm. I opened up my house, and it started in my living room. Oh, wow! And it started with just you know feeding folks. I would cook, mm-hmm. and I would feed them, and I would listen to their stories. With and it wasn't just you know the 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 um the clients that were coming. It was also the doulas, yeah. right? So, mm-hmm. like you know realizing. When I took doula training, while I appreciate the the doula training that I received, um, it was amazing. There were certain things that I realized I didn't know. And it was also things that I realized were not being talked about, such as like reproductive justice, Mm -hmm. birth justice. Mm -hmm. That wasn't being uplifted, which was something that when I was in college, you know, activism was a huge part of my life, you know? So it was like, you know, I was like, well, how do I intersect like the birth part (laughs) of of what I love to do (laughs) into this? And so, yeah, it wasn't, again, it wasn't something that came out of the intention. It came out of a a need that I saw within the community to uplift, you know, BIPOC low income folks who Mm -hmm. I realized were like just being completely overlooked. Like no one was, you know, thinking about the people who live between the intersections of things that are happening. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of times our focus is on, even within the the realm of black Brown and indigenous providers, when we get trained, you know, the realm tends to be focused on like independent business growth, which is fine, which is necessary. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But what a key component of that is that I think is left out is the moral compass of like, it takes one hand to give and one hand to receive. Mm -hmm. Right. And that when we primarily work from a framework that's built on a capitalist sh- structure, we're not we're no longer like upholding the ancestral part of the work that we do. You know exactly. what I mean? And so even within the context of that understanding, like there's other forms of currency in doing the work mm-hmm. and the always, you know, me living by that mode of there's one hand to give, there's one hand to receive. Like I've never been empty handed. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, because of that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I like how you, you mentioned, you know, some of the problems that go into this, that you saw in going into this work. When I first started, I started working with a company, I believe it was called A Labor of Love, and, hmm. and she was, um, she got a grant, and, and I was helping people in Jamaica, Queens, and Brooklyn, and just, you know, I remember supporting this one mom who had, was having her fifth child and all of her children were taken away from her. Mm. And that was the first time that I was supporting someone through fear Mm. in a way that I had never experienced before with any of my other clients and had to reassure her about things that I weren't, I wasn't certain of. Right. And she was giving birth in a Catholic hospital and I was just like in Brooklyn and I was It was the first time I had ever been to this hospital. I didn't even know that there was a Catholic hospital where they let you labor in one room and then take you into the OR to deliver. Mm -hmm. Like they took her out of that room. And the entire time, all she could worry about was whether or not they were going to call Child Protective Services on her and take her child away. And because I didn't have all of the information of like there was a history of drugs and we all know that they, they test women without their consent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and then like you also mentioned too, that like, that's not something that was taught in my doula training. I got trained through (laughs) donor, you know, (laughs) but I, I had personal experience with the, with that, with a family member of that happening too. So kind of understood like what I could tell her what to say and what to do, because even she had no information, right. Right. And she wanted to keep this child. And so, You know, and I and in that like little seconds, I was able to get some information like, no, she hadn't done drugs in a while. So she would most probably be clean. So that would be okay. But then like just even telling her, do not answer their questions. Mm -hmm. Like and this was something that I wasn't trained to do. So now when you're hearing these stories of not just the the women who experienced this, this violence. Right. And then the doulas and then putting together your organization like how did you how how were you able to talk to your doulas in a way to get them to tell their clients these when these situations come up so that they didn't get kicked out of a hospital right because that was the other thing they are all, they were quick to kick doulas out of the hospital if we spoke right. up so yeah
1: yeah i think i've always framed it as we're meeting people where they are not yes. where we expect them to be yes as well as understanding that you can't empower anyone, Mm -hmm. right? You can, you can give someone the tools to advocate for themselves, but once you start to become the advocate in the room, then you also are taking away their bodily autonomy and their voice. And so I continue to reiterate that to doulas and understanding like as passionate and compassionate and empathetic that you may be. Yeah. And really wanting to help someone, you would be doing a disservice to them by, by overstepping, yeah. you know what I mean? And yeah. not giving them space to be able to, to do what they need to do, right. Yeah. To come into their full selves, right. Because all of their lives, they may have experienced someone always speaking for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not just a new experience for the dualist, but it's also a new experience for the person who's receiving the care. Yes. Right. Because they may have never been asked like, well, what do you envision for yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you want for you? What do you want for your child? So, you know, understanding how those, you know, we, we play this, <laughs> this role of like the seen unseen yeah. where we have to be very tactful mm-hmm. in the ways in which we approach situations. Cause no, you don't, you don't yeah. want to get kicked out. I've had, you know, charged nurses come up to me like, Oh, you're interfering with the ways. <laughs>
0: Oh, you got to love those charged nurses. Stuff. And I was
1: like, oh, I didn't know that that me emptying the bedpan and or, you know, helping, uh, you, helping my client. Express- yeah. Right, making sure this person is comfortable um, and centering them and answering their questions in a way where they can make an informed decision was impeding on what you need to do. Mm-hmm. What they really meant to say was, you're not allowing for this process to move along mm-hmm. as quickly as we would like because now this person has an opportunity to really think through what it is that they
0: want for themselves. Exactly.
1: Um, and so now you're 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 disrupting our flow of how we run our business because that's what it is. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So then ancient song is born. So Mm. how did, how did you come up with one? It's a beautiful name, ancient song. Um, and, and then coming and putting together your, your whole, certification program like what do you include what you've included what what did you find was most helpful to include that was missing from other org- certifying yeah. organizations
1: so one so i guess the name the name came from my own birthing experience and the folks who were in the room and mm-hmm. so you know i asked my family when we were thinking about names you know you don't realize how you sound when you are in the process of yeah. you know those deep guttural mm-hmm. you know noises that you'll make yes. that, You know, those ancestral tones, the energy that comes into the room. And so my family um, said, you know, it sounded like you were making like ancient songs, you know, like (laughs) you were singing an ancient song. And I was like, wait a minute that's it. <laughs> that Yep. That was it. Uh, I was like, yeah. Cause, and what I realized too, was that when I was attending births, like everyone mm-hmm. has an ancient song yes. that they sing, you know what I mean? Yes. Whether it's a hum or it's a tap or a clicking or something, you know, mm-hmm. every, every individual, every pregnant person sounds different, but it's their song, right? Yeah. It's their ancestral song that they are conveying and being able to bring into that space, yeah. which allows mm-hmm. them to birth their, their child in a way that's affirming to them. Yeah. And so that's, that's where the name came from. In regards to certification, that came from my experiences and going to births and seeing things. So for instance, like working with someone who has a substance usage Mm -hmm. um, issue, you know, what does it mean to support someone who has to go to a methadone clinic, you know, not knowing what someone's rights are? What does it mean to work with someone who has, you know, mental health um, issues that are going on? So working with like bipolar, you know, individuals and those who may be on the schizophrenia spectrum mm-hmm. working or, or have had previous incidences of mania. Yeah. And, you know, during the postpartum period, like I'm supporting them and they're, you know, their partner is like, listen, like, what do I do? And I'm like, yeah. whoa, you know, needing to like be able to have that kind of information. Or even as you mentioned, you know, I, I realized when I would go to spaces, you know, I, I remember the first time I witnessed a baby getting taken away from a parent, you know, like immediately, and I was like,
0: "Whoa! Like, mm-hmm. what's happening
1: here? Like, yeah. how do we just? <laughs> do, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah. Like, how is this? How does this happen? Yeah. And you know, getting in contact with like, you know, defender lawyers and asking questions and finding out like, how can we do that? So a lot of the things that we teach have been, you know, that's in the curriculum but really brought on from the experiences that I had witnessed Mm -hmm. and not necessarily having the tools to be able to address them. You know, what does it mean to work with someone who has a child protective services case? What does it mean to work with folks who are undocumented? What does it mean to, you know, work with someone who I remember the first client I I worked with who didn't speak any English, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, what does it mean to work with someone from where they are understanding how, you can break down even those barriers yes. to to you know language barriers and still be able to support someone you know having someone's religion affirmed working mm-hmm. with like i've i've worked with and trained um a lot of folks in the orthodox jewish yeah. communities and you know being able to be in those spaces and to see how birth takes place you mm-hmm. know there's always this like mysticism you know in these stories yeah. that we hear but understanding like the realities of what really goes on you know mm-hmm. and being people trusting me to be in those spaces to support them, yeah. you know? And those were things that I realized, you know, doulas need to make sure that they are, you know, culturally congruent, that they're, they have like cultural humility, mm-hmm. you know, what does it mean to go into your practice and to be truly humble and to center and affirm someone in who they are, you yeah. know, and, and their whole selves and they being able to bring that, to fruition without judgment, yes. and I think, yeah, and I think, I know a key part of that is just really wanting, knowing the feeling of when you see someone for the first time, feel like they're being seen and heard. Yeah, is it's really powerful, mm-hmm. right? It's, it trend? You you see the transformation, yeah. like you, you know, you see um, the beauty of of life. You know, yeah. I, my very first birth was um, a single mom who. The midwife, you know, supported her in her home because she couldn't birth in her own home. And the baby was born in the call. Mm. And to be able to see like the midwife be so gentle and to just like break the sack and see this baby, you know, take this first breath. And I was like, whoa, okay. So this is like a whole nother, you know what I mean? Like that's a whole nother experience to understand like, Mm -hmm. you know, what it means to come from one realm into another realm mm-hmm. right but to be able to do that in such a nice smooth transition where you come as your full self and it's in a calm environment with people who are like affirming you and are loving you yeah. and you know really centering your parents so that yeah. they can center you like that's something that those places you know the the medical industrial complex is not affirming yeah <laughs> exactly all. exactly and, yeah i really wanted to be able to to put that in there but you know, and also a huge component of it is centering the people who take the training. Yeah. So it's not about you just coming and you know paying money and taking a training. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, what does it mean to center hope in your own lives? Yeah. You know, you. I don't believe that you can show up as your full self if you don't feel like your full self. Exactly.
0: Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. yeah. That yeah, that's really wonderful. I I there was so much of what you said that just resonated in the sense of, of I remember my first home birth experience, wondering why everybody wasn't choosing this type of experience Mm -hmm. or having clients who were talking about wanting a home birth, but weren't saying those words, right? Because they were describing the experience. So it sounds like also too, a lot of what you do What you did was make those connections in the community as well, like of those parents who had those experiences of saying, hey, what about this midwife for your next time? Or they're coming to you asking you those questions. How did you find or help them deal with? Because we all know. It's, it's always the oh home birth is dangerous or someone in their family <laughs> who's like oh my god how are you gonna have a home birth when you know so how do you help counsel those people to kind of meet home birth midwives and their family it might be the partner that might be like we don't do that anymore yeah
1: yeah, yeah. um it's so interesting um I think what it is is really getting down to the nitty-gritty of what their real fears are and concerns. Mm -hmm. Understanding that it's coming from a place of being institutionalized in a framework that is not set up to promote any other forms of expression when it comes to our reproductive health. It's also understanding that we live in a society that promotes individualism Mm -hmm. and doesn't promote community-oriented Activities or wellness and things of that nature, and so when I would sit with them, you know, and, and having those partners who are like, nah, man, like I'm exactly, mm-hmm. you talking the about house, like it, all of that is, is,
0: all that's cute, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, really, like yeah, not all here. that's cute, mm-hmm. but I'm not feeling that. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, um, but giving them a sense of reassurance because again, a lot of the uh, stereotypes and the ideas of what people think home birth is is based on this narrative that has been fed to us you know, through media, growing Mm -hmm. up, things of that nature, you know, stories that you hear from your family members, whether it be folks who have migrated from other places, you know, other continents or, you know, folks who live in America, you know, one narrative where I would get was, oh, that's just something people do in the country. Like we, I I came for the modernization. I'm not trying to, I'm not feeling all of that, right? (laughs) Yeah. And then the other flip side of it is, is that you'll hear sometimes, oh, well, Yeah, so, like, I mean, what are they carrying? Like, a black bag and... (laughs) You know, like, no, seriously. Like, not, yeah, exactly. Because that's what they used to do in the movies back then. Right, the right. So were coming like, you know, like the It's like, yeah. we're talking about call a midwife. And yes. I'm like, this is not the show. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, that midwife is coming with like oxygen tanks. Mm-hmm. They can suture. Yes. You know, they're registered nurses. Yes. They've been doing this for a while. Like, there's a whole multitude of things yes. that are happening here. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, like, really getting them an opportunity and then asking them, you know, truly, like, what does birth look like for you? You know, and I always start out with that question because nine times out of 10, people have no idea. They're like, what do you mean? That's Mm -hmm. the first thing that will come out of my mind. What do you mean? Mm -hmm. What does it look like to me? And I'm like, how do you envision bringing your child into the world? Like, what do you want to see? And and you know, the the common answer sometimes is often, I don't know, in a hospital. Yeah. And it's like, no, like you have other options. Like, Mm -hmm. what if I told you, you could birth your baby at home? Well, what if I tell you? And they are like, oh, but my apartment's too small. You yeah. know, we live in New York. Yeah. i like, mm-hmm. you nobody care about the exactly. apartment size. Exactly.
0: Or that, oh, my neighbors. When have you ever been right. in New York and heard your neighbors? <laughs> Listen, I heard my neighbors having sex all the time and never went down and knocked on their door. Just you were like, "What's that sound?" Oh, yeah, and they leave you alone. So exactly, they're they're not even. They're they're like, "Whatever." Exactly, (laughs) because it's New York. It's New York.
1: Yeah. Um, Or like, what does it mean to go a birthing center? You know, and I would talk to them about, okay, so you don't necessarily feel comfortable with this, but you want that. Well, Mm here is this happy medium of this birthing center that's available for you to access. Yeah, you know. And then also realizing, too, like, you know, a lot of the things that would come out of that would be formulated on, well, my insurance. And Mm -hmm. so another thing that popped out that is also included in our training is like talking about insurance segregation and the ways in which, you know, yeah, people are treated because of that. And so Mm -hmm. really finding ways to be able to navigate through that so that the person you're working with can have, you know, access, um, information and be able to choose from a place that feels good to them, not based on circumstance all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is, that is great. Like just framing that for people. And so now you have your doula program, you're, you're educating doulas and now the activism part. How did that come about In in this work I mean I know it's an easy transition for you But I've never heard the story I'd like to hear it
1: <laughs> Yeah. So let's see how did it come about I would say full blown um, My full blown activism in dual work I don't know. It's always been there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's there in, you know, some of the very first t shirts that we ever had. You know, I have, which we're actually going to bring out again. Oh, okay. Great. Um, which is like a mom with a big belly. She's got a baby on her back and a shotgun. Oh, I, I will get that one. <laughs> but it's always been centered in. Some form of activism. And I think activism looks different in many different ways. And also understanding just how parenthood is a political act in and of itself. Mm -hmm. You know, as a parent, you know, I used to and being, a, you know, being a black woman, being a mother, being a mother of so many children, I've come in contact with a lot of things. Discriminatory practices yes. that are like for real, like this is what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you know this it, this immediate judgment of like who you are, how you show up, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And so, in realizing that, you know, us even deciding to bring a child earthside is something that is considered to be revolutionary. Yeah, it's something that is transformative. So, I would say my my activism started in college, but it the catalyst for it was my children and always mm-hmm. continues to be my children because I want to see them to grow up in a space where um, they don't have to continue to perpetuate the same conversations that we have to have now. Yeah. I think within with the height of birth work where it really um, started to take off is when they started to come out with the doula bills and the doula Medicaid reimbursement.
0: <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> if that was not a catastrophe, I don't know what was I, I yeah. remember I got a call from someone who um was like, you should sign up. And I was like, what is this? Mm. And, and she she was like, you know, you if you sign up, and then I, what she was, she was a biller. That's what she oh, was. Okay. And so she contacted me and I was like, where'd you get my name from? Like, mm-hmm. and then she was talking to me about it. And I was like, this makes absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, explain a little bit about the bill and then how your role in having those conversations mm-hmm. around what went into that bill and then the disaster.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um I had, let me see. I had heard about the bill at the very last minute. I think I was on Facebook and someone posted and said like, this bill is, you know, up for discussion. And that was a dual certification bill. And I was like, what? And so I hopped on a train ride, a train to Albany. I called the the person who sponsored the bill. Let me give you some background, too, yeah. of me, just to be clear. I grew up in a very political household. Mm-hmm. I grew up, I think I was on my first campaign trail when I was 13 years old. Um, so I'm not coming from a space of, like, not knowing anything. Yeah. I'm coming from a space of growing up in a household where um, I had very political parents who and grandparents who, well, who held political offices. Mm-hmm. And so immediately jumped on a train, went up to Albany. And as I got to the floor, found out that the bill was on the floor and I didn't even know it was on the floor wow. at the moment, mm-hmm. went to the floor and the, they were getting ready to vote on it. And as I was sitting outside talking to the legislator who sponsored the bill, the bill had was on the floor being voted on and passed. Wow. And I was like, um wait a minute now like what what Mm -hmm. is all of this like one like how did you where did you get this language from like who told you this was okay who did you speak with yeah yeah and you know they're like she's like oh you know it's gonna advance you know the profession and I was like the profession is already advanced thank you very much exactly yes (laughs) Like, like you can't just make this without Um, First speaking to community and what I mean by community is like speaking to who are the stakeholders that are involved and so what we were able to do or what I was able to do was to be able to get some funding to be able to go across state ancient songs to go across state and for us to be able to speak to all of the doula organizations throughout the state whole listening sessions and really hear like the impact of what it means because when we think about doula services and doula care we oftentimes only think about downstate yes. New York City mm-hmm. and don't and totally forget about upstate yeah. right and the different um, realities of people who are in raw spread out areas yeah. you know what does it mean for for them and so getting to hear their voices and what the bill and how it would impact them and then that would inform like what legislation would look like. The other piece of it was um, what I realized early on was that people really have no idea how bills are f- coming to fruition. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the work that we did was centered on being able to educate around like how are bills created? Yeah, You know what I mean? What does that look like? Yeah. You know, what's the, what's the equitable way, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? To really promote a bill. Yeah, and, and, a, and, and for me, that has always been to hear from the people that it's going to directly affect. Like if you're not going to talk to them, then it just becomes this like individual who lives in a tower, who's talking down to people and saying, Oh, this is what you need. Like, it's like me going into your house and telling you, "Mm, you need to move that plant over there. You need to do
0: this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You need to
1: do that. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a extreme passion for policy. I steered away from it for a very long time. It's like one of those things where, you know, you grow up, with something in your yeah. house, and you're like, mm-hmm. I'm never gonna do this. Exactly. This exactly. This gonna exactly. No, you're, you're so like, not- this is BS. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> because I got to see the behind the scenes stuff mm-hmm. of like what what goes down. You yeah. know what I mean, like a lot of it is it's playing a game. It's playing mm-hmm. a role. You know, it's understanding the it's understanding the politics of yeah. everything. You know, yeah. so. Yeah. So I I had like really and truly steered away from it for a very, very long time. But that was one of the the catalysts. And since then, I've been able to work on legislative policy in New York state, in in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. um, on a state and federal level. I do a lot of I read bills a lot and will give feedback. To individuals, on like, you know, how does this look and thinking about the intersections of how it shows up? And so, really applying a reproductive justice, birth justice framework to those things when, when, you know, when they're proposed. So, yeah, love it. Uh,
0: That's great. It's great. I I have to say, I am, I watch you and I see all the work that you're doing, and I'm just like, I'm tired for you. Like, (laughs) How, how, I, I understand passion, right? Because do, as yep. do Lord, like, the longest birth I ever attended was five days, and okay. I did it, right? And you're just like, right. cause you're passionate, and I, I can see that, but it's one thing to have passion, <laughs> and then you have a family a large family, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of work into. And I know that you bring your children everywhere. I've seen you on panels with your children, mm-hmm. which is great and having them involved because again, that's, that's, that's what community is about and teaching them from young, right? But h- how do you do it? Like
1: just... <laughs> um, I, okay, so I want to say first, like I have an amazing partner who supports me wholeheartedly. Like mm-hmm. if it wasn't for him, you know, showing up and being present. He does a lot of, you know, behind-the-scenes things. Like, he'll take videos and he'll, you know, post stuff. And But he has always created space for me to be who I am Mm -hmm. and for me to do the things that I love and understanding, like, you know, how what I'm doing is greater than just us. It's it's for our community. It's Mm -hmm. not like I'm... I don't do this for self-gratification. It's not anything about... Like, I truly and genuinely... I don't know why I'm getting all about to get emotional, but I truly and genuinely love seeing people come into their full selves. Like it's a powerful thing to be able to witness someone's strength and their ability to center themselves and to experience like all of the things at one time, you know? And I, I, the only reason why I'm able to do this is because of the Creator, because of the Most High. Like honestly, like I I don't have no kind of superhuman powers. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying, oh, I only sleep four hours and you know, night. Like I'm a human being, I get tired. There's moments where, you know, I've had experiences where you're like, do I want to do this? Like
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Yeah, you have to check in with yourself. Again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, You know, you go through all of the emotions, you go through all the emotions. But what I realized is that, you know, we're all human beings having a human experience. Yeah. And in that, you know, it's about growth and transformation. And again, like really meeting people where they are, not where you expect them to be. And so Mm -hmm, it's not about, mm -hmm. you know, and I tell folks like, you know, uh, I'm not trying to like put up uh, some sort of perception. Like everything I do is based on like I pray before Mm -hmm. I do it. You know, I ask for guidance, you know, yeah. every single day. Like, is this something that I should be doing? Yeah. You know, I listen to spirit and and, and allow it to guide me and in my intuition mm-hmm. first and foremost mm-hmm. before anything I do, because I know I'm just a human being, which yeah. means that as a human being, you know, we are susceptible to ego and to vanity and yeah. to all of those different yeah. things and realizing that in the work of service those things don't serve us yeah, and they don't serve other people. And so, yeah, it it has only been because of the strength of like my family and being able to center my spiritual center in doing this work. But there's times where I'm like, I need to sit my ass down. And I do. (laughs) Okay. When I need to sit down, I'm like, you know what? Pause. Let me, let me take a step back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So, I know I didn't ask this. I didn't. I didn't specifically ask this question, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw this one at you. Like, I put, what changes do you wish to see in the industry? But what three changes do you think that you want to see in the birth industry?
1: Hmm. What three changes? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: First one would be economic stability. Okay. And so an enhancement or in a conversation around what does it mean to have sustainable workforce as well as sustainability and longevity in terms of when a birth worker, if you choose to do this your whole life or you're a midwife, you know, how you can have something where you can still serve your community and have that necessary capital that is set aside. So I don't think that we have enough conversations around like, what isn't like the importance of a good credit score or the importance of like setting up a business infrastructure, Mm -hmm. you know, the importance of um, a 401k, right. Understanding that Mm -hmm. we don't, when you work independently, you don't have like (laughs) those structures in place. Exactly. No benefits. What what does it mean to, you know, put those benefits in place to have a 401k to invest in stocks too. Right. Mm -hmm. That is something that is, it may seem like it's really difficult, but it's not, yeah. you know, it's something that is, 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 is it can happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? The other thing that I would like to see is, let me see. What would I like to see? I would like to see a lot more growth in understanding in terms of information technology mm. and the ways in which we use it. And I, you know, I see that I see the ways in which, you know, us as, BIPOC people have gotten into it but moving away from it where it doesn't necessarily and this is also for the economic one doesn't center a capitalist framework yes where it centers a more communal and and really centering what does it mean to uplift ancestral technologies yes right mm-hmm. and um in the work that we do and so and how those technologies are also really valid mm-hmm. and trusting in those things so when I say ancestral technologies, thinking about the ways in which we're able to get this like download from yes. our ancestral mm-hmm, cloud, right, mm-hmm. that tells us like how to manifest certain works, and being able to like thereby execute it in a way that centers us. So mm-hmm. having those like you know those connections, and then putting that on a platform that becomes visible to all. So yes. it's a tool that's accessible; someone can use it, mm-hmm. they can tap in. And I, the third thing would be, I mean, anti-racist medical models of care. Ooh, you know? that's a mouthful.
0: <laughs> that is definitely a mouthful. And I, I have to yeah. agree. Yeah, you know? that, that is that is a huge one. And, I, and I've said this on the podcast before. And, and it's just in the little, it can be in the little ways. I had this one interaction with a doctor many moons ago before I became a doula, who I was... I was addicted to sugar and had a lot mm. of um, yeast infections from a really young age. So I always knew when one was coming because I was like, oh, I binged a whole bunch of sugar and went to this doctor. And I walked into her office and told her I had a yeast infection. My first mm-hmm. time walking into her office and she began to list off every sexually transmitted disease that there it was and I was just like and f- every time she would say one I would say I have a yeast infection I have a yeast infection I have a yeast infection she finally got so pissed that she was like go get changed and I was just like alright I got changed she came in she checked me walked out and was like meet me in my office and I sat down because I knew and she was like I said so and she was like you have a yeast infection why do we have to go through that like why right. <laughs> Why do we have to go through that, you know, and, and just, and that was my first and last time in, in her office after that, because I was just like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with someone like this. And this was a referral from a person of color who was like, she's great. She's amazing. And I was like, that wasn't my experience and I'm not doing this, you know, and years later, all I will say is this about her is, and you'll know she was a very famous doctor and probably one of the only ones in New York city that would deliver a baby breech mm <laughs> okay <laughs> so yeah um, and and everyone okay. loved, everyone loved her, and I was just like, that's not my experience, that right. was not mine, so yeah, yeah that is that is a good one to see, yeah, yeah, I
1: think too when we when we talk about referrals, you know. People gotta run. Understand referrals are something that's tricky. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I think it's also based on like you know when we talk about oh my experience was really great. Okay, what made what def what defines mm-hmm, a great experience. Mm-hmm. You know, is it the aesthetics of the place? Yes. Is it, you know, because somebody said hi to yes. you? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Same. Is it because, you know, they gave you some water to yes. drink? Oh, it was great. Yeah. You know, was it great in centering your bodily autonomy? Did it allow you the the opportunity to express yourself and tell the person, like, this is my health history and I know yeah. what's going on? Mm-hmm. That to me is great. Right. Exactly. You know, great care. Exactly. You know, it was a great referral as opposed to the other. So, yeah, we need to reframe and reframe yeah. those Those. Those systems need to change. Yes,
0: I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I would love to see those changes as well. Yeah. So my next segment is daily inspiration, and I want to know what brings you joy. Ooh, what brings me joy? I have to pick one thing. You uh, list. You can list. Okay, list three. Uh, what brings me joy? Okay. Good food. Good oh. vegan food. I've like, been okay. seeing your recipes, by the way. <laughs> I am not convinced 100% that I I will have some vegan food, but I will not completely commit to being veganism yet. I'm not there yet, but it has been, I've been like, what's the recipe? What's in that? It looks amazing. Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, a little, a little secret. I used to have a catering company back in the day.
0: Oh, back. okay. There you go. There you go. So- so yeah, good good plate of
1: food, um, laughter. I love to yes. laugh. I think laughter is like the joy of 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 life. Yeah, I mean, people who really really know me know that I'm pretty. I can be pretty goofy at times. Yeah, and good music. I love like really really good yes. vibes. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's all about the vibes. If yeah. you know, if people don't have the vibes. You know, I'm like nah. nah it, yeah. yeah,
0: I have to it's, say I this quarantine has been challenging, but I will tell you right now, the DJ sets on Instagram have been giving me all the life. Like I'm just like all of it. it. I was like, this is helping me so much. So yeah, music is definitely, music is definitely my love language. I'm like, put on a song. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I listen to music all day. I have music playing even in my bathroom because I was like, Mm -hmm. it's, it should be everywhere. I totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite scent? Oh, uh, my
1: favorite scent would have to be Ethiopian um, frankincense and myrrh.
0: Mm, I've never smelled that one.
1: Yeah, it yeah. is. That is my all-time favorite scent. You can't. I have not been able to find it anywhere here. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband brought some back um, from Ethiopia, and hands down, that is my okay. my all-time favorite scent. Second
0: scent would be um, Nag Champa. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> what's a quote or a saying that inspires you ooh
1: a quote or saying do good and live
0: mmm that's a good one do good and yeah. live yeah do good and live yeah nothing more simple than that yeah thanks for that so now the next segment is where we get kind of tricky right because okay. it's it's going to be your birth stories <laughs> And right, I want sure to give you, ro- <laughs> want to give you room to, yeah. you know, we, we got a little bit of your first. So right. your first was a home birth with yes. midwives and a doula and yeah. take the floor.
1: Okay. Yeah. So um, it was, it was a hot August day. <laughs> <and> <laughs> it was a hot August day in, in Side to be exact. <laughs> Yeah, I mean I started off the day, went to woke up early, six AM. I thought I was dreaming that I was having contractions and I went back to bed or I lay back down and I was like, Oh wait a minute, this is real and then I called my midwife and I was like, Just wanna give you a heads up. She was like, All right, I'll see you later. And I had we got up, my husband made a big meal, we walked through Saratoga Park, mm. I took my shoes off, I hugged trees. I don't know what I was thinking about taking my shoes off the grass. And, and, <laughs> and, like, and, and yeah, but mm-hmm. I came back. My neighbor was who happened to be from the Caribbean. She was standing outside and she was like, oh, my goodness, it's going in. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in labor. I was like, so if you hear any noise, yeah. it's just us. Like, uh-huh. It's OK, she's like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, we're going to have a baby in the house. She was like, really? And she goes into like this whole story and, and whatnot. But yeah, I just remember like out of that first birth postpartum, immediate postpartum one, I didn't know how to hold a child. And I was like, this is crazy (laughs) because they come out and you're like, like, yeah,
0: exactly.
1: And I was like, oh my God, this is wonderful yet very wet. (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember seeing everybody sweating in the room and I was like, why are y'all sweating? And I'm the one that did the work, (laughs) but it was amazing. And uh, for my first one, for my second one, You know, once you had that first one, I think it becomes like, okay, I got this easy breezy. Mm -hmm. I didn't find out I was pregnant with twins until I was 34 weeks. And so, yeah, I had, um, I started feeling like light-handed or like, you know, dizzy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yo, I think I got preeclampsia. And so I told my midwife and she was like, well, let's go check and see what's going on. And um, I remember having my 15 month old in a stroller when I went and you know they're doing the the Sonic Grammar, and I'm like, no, I don't see two, like, no <laughs> I see two skulls. Like they tripping. Like I don't know what is this. And the woman was like, I'm sorry, miss, we don't do high risk. And I was like, who's high risk? She was like, we don't do twins. I was like, who's having twins? I don't know what you're talking about. And so then she's like, I'm going to get my supervisor. And I was like, you do that. <laughs> um, and so the woman comes back and I knew like, you know, I'm yes. already a mm-hmm. doer. Yeah. I'm like, you know, it's like one of yeah. the denial phases. Yes. And so, yeah. So she comes back and she's doing the whole shabit. And then, um, yeah, she's like, yeah, you're having twins. And I was like, oh, okay. So I leave <laughs> out and I call my husband on the phone, and he's a teacher and um, he te- he was teaching in the city. And he's like, I call him, he's like, what's up? And I'm like, um, I gotta tell you something. Now, anytime I start with, I gotta tell you something, <laughs> he already knows it's about to be something. Usually, when I say that, that means I'm pregnant. Oh, okay. So he was like, Well, I you pregnant. So that's not it. Yeah, exactly. But then I was like, Well, we're having twins. And he was like, You know what? I just got to back. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I got to call you back on that one. <laughs> but yeah, my sister actually had kept saying it. She was like, You're having twins. You're having twins. And I was like, Who the heck's having twins? Like, yeah. who has f- twins in their family? Yeah. And come to find out, my dad, which I didn't know, had an identical twin brother Uh. who had died when he was a teenager. Mm. Um, And so that was something I had like had no clue about. Um, So that was my second one. I ended up having to go to the hospital for weekly NSTs. Mm -hmm. Went. Blood pressure was really high one day. They were like, "Okay, we're going to admit you. So I was admitted from 35 weeks on. Mm At St. Vincent's Hospital, which is no longer. No longer exists. there. It is a and, condominium I
0: pass by, and I'm always like, oh, my God.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah, no longer exists. And so, like, I was the, everybody knew me as a doula who was on the floor, who was advocating, who had, like, the <laughs> doulas who would come and visit <laughs> and bring me food because uh, I wasn't eating that And food. not all that food's crappy. Right. Yeah. And uh, one day, my blood pressure had spiked really, really high, and I had to have an emergency C-section. And it was it was rough. It was, mm-hmm. you know, they had to do the spinal like a good four or five times. I was like, you know, I had to be like, if you don't know what you're doing, I'm gonna need you to stop. Yeah. The recovery, you know, was dread because I had to, once I went home, I still had to keep going back and forth because the babies were small. One was Mm -hmm. four pounds, two ounces. The other one was eight, three pounds, eight ounces. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have a toddler at home. Yeah. I have a cesarean. I'm pumping, I'm doing all of those things. And, um, yeah, it was it was rough. It was rough um, for the you know, and I don't say this lightly, but you know, postpartum we don't talk about postpartum enough. Enough. Mm-hmm. But postpartum was one of the things where I mean, I was I had the voice to be able to be like something's not right, yeah. because I felt like they didn't like me. Mm. And what I you know came to realize was like you know chemically there was something going on where I felt like from having coming from a place where having a home birth at yeah. first and knowing what that experience is and then going from a place of having, you know, a cesarean, an unplanned one at yeah. that, mm-hmm. even though I was able to advocate for myself and things of that nature. Oh, because that was the other thing. We had to like advocate for my incision, the type of incision oh, yeah. that I wanted, all of that while I was laying on the table. I was like, no, you know, exactly. no staples, no yep. this. Mm-hmm. Like, I need you to do this, that, and the other. Um, <laughs> they were like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a lot of... of It was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot on my body. It was a lot on my mental wellness. And I spoke up and I was like, something's not right. And so I was able to, you know, get some help from other doulas, Mm -hmm. you know, who were able to support me postpartum during that time. Um, But a lot of people don't have the space to be able to do that. Or, you know, and especially being a black woman, like Mm -hmm. we don't we're not given the grace to no. be able to say those things, you know? Yeah. If it wasn't for the fact that I had a trusted community where I could do that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I would have went to a, a OB, I might have had my children taken away cuz they were like, "Oh, yeah. she doesn't so- have the mental capacity to be able to do this," you know? Exactly. Um regardless of the fact that there's a partner in the home or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, that was my second experience. My third experience, um I had a V-back at home. Oh, okay. And so I was like, well, I'm not going back to the hospital. Like, you know, I wasn't yeah. concerned about a cesarean, like, you know, having a previous one because my first four are stair steps. Mm-hmm. They're 12, 11, and 10. Okay. And um, so, yeah, had a V back at home or H back. It was amazing. I <laughs> remember riding around, going grocery shopping, cooking dinner, putting the kids in bed, and then calling my midwives like, okay, it's okay. And then I'm like, coming and having a baby. <laughs> And then my other two, one is four and one is three. The four-year-old that was just quick. She was like lightning, like she just shot out of my body. I was like, oh, okay, we're doing this is quick. This is this is a lot. Yeah. Like <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. And then, but my last was my most difficult, mm. which is surprising, right? Because most yeah. people are like, oh my that's god, a, you know, yeah. so easy after a while. I'm like, no, yeah. mm-mm. each pregnancy is different. Yeah. But my last, same thing, home birth. I had me being foolish eating chocolate um, like 30 minutes before my midwife came to check me, mm-hmm. and the fetal heart tones had raised. She was like, oh. "If I have to check, you know, if I have to." Um, forgetting I have a chocolate sensitivity. Okay, and you know, if this she's like, "If this keeps up, we might have to transfer." So then we end up going to the hospital. She we rush to the hospital. I go to the hospital. I know everybody on the floor, which is weird. It's different when yeah, you don't yeah. know people mm-hmm. when you go to a hospital. It's different when you know, like, the charge nurse yes. and everybody that's there. And so, you know, went on the floor, talked, they checked me out. They were like, okay, you're fine. Just sign an AMA, you could leave. And I was mm-hmm. like, deuces. So I left. <laughs> exactly. um, got any car? Drove, we drove back to my house. I was in the living room, thought I would birth there. I tried the water birth thing. I was like, that's trash. I I, I appreciate everybody who does it. But for me, uh-uh. I was like, I need to stand up. Or maybe and that's the cancer in me. That's just yeah. like, I'm already a water sign. Yeah, I don't need more I water. I need to be on solid ground. And so, you know, water birth didn't work for me. Uh-huh. But yeah, so like my vaginal muscles were really tight. The walls. So like, I kept feeling at first I I was pushing and kept feeling like I was hitting something and and I had to say to my midwife and I was like, do I have a cervical lip? I was like, because something's going on. Yeah. And sure enough, she checked and I had one. Mm. And it was one of those things where I was like, can you move it? And she was like, ready? (laughs) like, no. (laughs) That is an adventure right there. Oh. And um, yeah, she did. And then all of a sudden it was like full force, (laughs) like. But then my, again, my vaginal walls, uh, you know, they were so tight this is why you should not overdo kegels so she had to like really massage them to get his head to to come out which it was that was a, a you know that was a lot of work like i had never pushed so hard before ever wow. to birth any of my children so yeah i was like okay this is but right after he was it was fine and he's running around here doing the most now
0: <laughs> i hear my hair <laughs> so what what would you say that Birth and this one's just another one that's not on the on the list, but it just came to me. What did mm-hmm. birth teach you about yourself? Ooh,
1: birth taught me that uh, how to trust my instincts, mm-hmm. how to trust my intuition, and and to always to know that you are to know that I'm not alone. Yeah, if that makes any yeah. sense. I think a lot of us, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I'll be 42 this year. Uh (laughs) You a baby. (laughs) When I was was in my early 20s, you know, I think we go through this this thing of like, you know, you feel this like level of emptiness, this void, this space where you're like trying to fill it with things. You know, we're always looking for the things. Mm -hmm. And what birth really taught me was that you don't need to feel... Yourself up with anything but the love of yourself, and uh, and trusting in who you are and what you know.
0: Yeah,
1: and you know, because I had taken, I had done like you know different spiritual classes, and you know, because you look and yes, you're searching exactly. you search mm-hmm. And they were you know pivotal in me being where I am today. Like I took Queen of as Sacred Woman, when I back in oh my god, two thousand four. Wow. Jesus, um, yeah, it was a while ago. You know, and and all of those things are great catalysts for you being having a better understanding of self. Mm-hmm. But I think true understanding of self is being able to like look within and be be good yeah. and be able to sit with whatever you see, you know, yeah. and understand life and and be accepting of of what it is. And I think birth allows you the vision to be able to sit and to see yeah. what it is. Cause there it, it is what it is. Like mm-hmm. you can't make it out to be something else. Nope. Like you have to, you feel everything you're in it. You know what I mean? Like all the emotions, all the feelings, yes. you know, physically, spiritually, spiritually, you could try to run away from yourself, which mm-hmm. a lot of us try to do yeah. while we're in that process. Mm-hmm. That's when we have those four or five day labors. Right? Yes. Yes. But really, it's about you having the opportunity to tap in the self. And that's what it taught me. It taught me to not be afraid to be in that space because yeah. there's, there's nothing to fear.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Especially you, you do feel everything. And I know that at one point in in my labor, I was visited by my great-grandmother and my grandmother and all my aunts because I was like I, you felt that fear and then I was like I, I don't have anything to be afraid of they all did mm-hmm. this they all did this that's why I'm here so that is true that's that's beautiful thank you for that where can people find you um,
1: where can people find me me personally you can find me on IG at Chanel underscore Porsche if you're looking for Ancient Song you can find us at Ancient Song on IG um, or on Facebook yeah I don't I don't I don't mess with Facebook personally I mean I, um, like
0: I've, I've been off of Facebook for a bit too I'm yeah, like I'll post okay, okay. on Instagram and Facebook then I'm like right. on Instagram yeah, go I'm like yeah but I'm, I'm, but like, I'm, like, yeah, but I'm like I'm gonna stay IG because I was like y'all over here that's a whole different I just can't I cannot I cannot yeah no. you can
1: definitely find me on um, yeah. IG chilling and I mean that's my personal page so if yeah you get the opportunity to see a little bit of my personal life
0: yeah it's um, wonderful the
1: things I do with my children's because my children's is always
0: there your, be- your baby's a beautiful they oh, are beautiful you. they are really are <laughs> yeah tell them i I every time I see them I'm like God bless because they are like they are just bright and light and like you can just see you know the love and the that just emanates right they're just like okay. so pure every time you take a picture of them they're like hey we here <laughs> <laughs> how we do like, I was like look at them that's right living out loud as we should as we yes, should indeed, indeed. <laughs> thank you so much for being oh. on my podcast I I really, really appreciate it. No, Thank no, you. Dude, thanks for asking me. I appreciate <laughs> you being yeah. here. No, definitely. Gracias. Thanks for listening to the Clear Birth Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find me on Instagram at the Clear Birth Podcast. If you want to send me an email, you can reach me at the at gmail.com. Adios. Hasta luego. Goodbye. Until next time.